So a couple of weeks ago, I got to spend a few days in Florida, and one of those days I spent at the Kennedy Space Center. I was really hoping that they would have had a launch scheduled for that week, as that's a bucket list item for me, but unfortunately it just wasn't meant to be. However, I was still super excited to go to the Space Center. You see, before my trip, I was under the impression that I had been there as a young child, but really couldn't recall my visit. I was under this impression because I had remembered seeing pictures in our family photo album about our trip. Since I am now the keeper of the family album, upon my return home last week, I excitedly went searching for the album that contained the pictures of our family trip to Cape Canaveral. Sure enough, I found them, and to my dismay, realized I wasn't in a single photo. <laughs> and then it dawned on me, I probably wasn't even on the trip at all. No wonder why I have no memories of being there. And yes, I had been born at this time, so I had been ditched. <laughs> Callie, I think I'm going to need some counseling. In all fairness, I was only two or three years old when my family was there, so I wouldn't have remembered anything anyway. In the end, my trip ended up being way cooler than my siblings because after all, they were there in the 70s and the space shuttle hadn't even been built yet, nor did they have an IMAX or those cool movies that made me wish I had taken a Dramamine before watching. I still think I want that counsel though. Oh, and by the way, the powdered orange drink Tang was not invented for astronauts. So there you have it. Twice in one week, the understandings of my childhood have been completely shattered. <laughs> I have always been fairly fascinated with the space program. After all, my generation is sometimes referred to as the Challenger generation. The history of the human race has been defined by a series of events and every generation seems to have its own first where were you when moment. Where were you when you heard about the attack on Pearl Harbor? Where were you when you heard President Kennedy had been shot? Where were you when you heard about the planes that had been flown into the Twin Towers in New York City? And for my generation, our first where were you when event was that of the explosion of the Challenger space shuttle. As a kid, I also loved this movie called Space Camp, which ironically was released into theaters only five months after the Challenger disaster, with much criticism, of course. In the movie, a group of teenagers attending the camp accidentally get launched into space on the space shuttle Atlantis and have to figure out how to get themselves home it was totally realistic, of course. <laughs> and being a big Tom Hanks fan and a fan of history, I love the movie Apollo 13, the real-life story of NASA's successful failure. Regardless of the fact that I have seen that movie about a dozen times, at least I always cry at the end. And of course, I had to watch it again last week upon my return home and cried again. So as I was exploring the Space Center, I was struck with the realization that I have always lived in a world where man has walked on the moon, and in some ways I was wondering if I was maybe taking that for granted. 
I don't know what that must have been like to have heard about President Kennedy's declaration that a man would walk on the moon before the end of the 1960s, and then to watch in eager anticipation as NASA, through many trials and errors, some utterly disastrous, tried to accomplish this feat, only to then gather around your TV set on July 20th, 1969. So where were you when you watched Neil Armstrong descend the ladder of the lunar module and step out on the face of the moon. That must have been amazing. That was a life-altering, culture-altering, world-altering moment. The moon landing is still, to this day, considered one of the greatest achievements of human ingenuity. The technological advances that took place in order for this to happen were staggering. It inspired generations of people to become scientists because suddenly everything seemed possible. Suddenly the world came together in unity over this triumph. Suddenly the stars seemed more in our grasp than ever before. As William Bainbridge put it in his book, The Spaceflight Revolution, the Apollo space program was a grand attempt to reach beyond the world of mundane life and transcend the ordinary limits of human existence through the accomplishment of the miraculous. Daniel Lockney, the editor of Spinoff, NASA's annual publication said, thanks to the Apollo missions, there were remarkable discoveries in civil, electrical, aeronautical, and engineering science, as well as rocketry and the development of core technologies that really push technology to the industry it is today. It perhaps was one of the greatest engineering and scientific feats of all time. It was huge. The engineering required to leave Earth and move to another heavenly body required the development of new technologies that before hadn't even been thought of. Even now, almost 50 years later, it has yet to be rivaled. The Apollo space program, in the span of a decade, managed to alter the course of human history. Jesus, in the span of a week, managed to do the same. Today, in the life of the church and the Christian calendar, we're celebrating Palm Sunday, the day in which Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the seat of Jewish power and authority, a town governed by Rome, to the adoration and exaltation of the masses, to announce the coming of his kingdom, the kingdom unlike any the world had ever known. In this moment and on this day, he was being hailed as their king and lord. But those in Jesus's cheering section did not include the religious leaders, the priests and rabbis of the Sanhedrin, the ruling authority within the temple. And man, were these guys ticked. They already had a very deep disdain for Jesus, and this moment on Palm Sunday, amid the shouts of Hosanna and the waving of palm branches, I would imagine they had had enough, thus putting into motion the, the events of the week ahead. You see, Palm Sunday is the beginning of the culmination of all that God has set out to do since the dawn of creation. 
So let's not be so quick to jump over this day and this coming week in anticipation of an empty tomb. Let's sit in this moment for a minute and try and fathom the significance of what this week is really all about. To pull away from the idea that this is only a story which occurred two millennia ago and is merely ancient history, when in truth, it's a moment and a week that needs to be reckoned with. And not just these days during Holy Week that we recognize as a worshiping community like Palm Sunday or Monday, Thursday or Good Friday, but each individual day this week because a lot of work on Jesus' part still needed to be done and he knew it. He still had so much to accomplish before Good Friday rolled around. The scripture that Kelly read from the Gospel of John takes place in the upper room on the night of the Passover before what we now call Good Friday, only a few days after Palm Sunday. John's Gospel, being markedly different in style from the other three of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, spends a great deal of time focusing on this last night of Jesus' life, five whole chapters to be exact. While the other three Gospels focus mostly on what was done in the upper room, John's Gospel focuses mostly on all that was said in the upper room. And Jesus had a lot to say. After all, this was it for him and his disciples. After spending three years training them to carry out his mission in the world, this night was their last training session and Jesus had to make sure they were prepared for what was next. In the coming days, they would be launched into a whole new realm. So Jesus spoke plainly and matter-of-factly to them. Yes, indeed, things were about to get really rough for them, and they were going to be grieving. Yet he also assured them their grief would be turned into joy, a joy unlike any other because he was about to overcome the world. He was about to put to shame all of his critics and all of his adversaries and shut the mouth of Satan for good. And still, no matter how much Jesus tried to explain to his disciples about all that was about to occur, in their humanity there was truly no way they could fully fathom the implications and significance of what Jesus was about to do and how his actions would define all of life as we now know it. In essence, Palm Sunday is the beginning of the launch sequence that rockets us into a whole different dimension where the truth of the matter is that all of human existence will be changed forever. Yes, so many things throughout the course of time has altered the trajectory of human history from inventions to events from the invention of the wheel to written language to the printing press, the Reformation, the Industrial Revolution, to the horseless carriage, the powered aircraft, to spaceflight, and a myriad of other things. We may experience the benefits of the technologies created for the space program each and every day when we sit in front of a computer, use a cell phone, or watch cable television but we experience the rich blessings of God with every breath that we take. We experience the rich blessings of a God who loved the world so much that he gave us his one and only son. 
we experience the rich blessings of our Redeemer, Jesus, who chose to begin this Holy Week journey as a hailed king, yet die a criminal's death days later. It is because of Christ's very nature and the lessons he taught, and of course his love for us, that brought about the tenets of the Christian faith that has influenced culture for millennia. Advancements in knowledge from the preservation of ancient writings to the establishment of universities and hospitals, to the formation of governments, the varied expressions of art and business and economies all have their roots in Christian ideals. And our Christian ideals came to fruition through the events of Holy Week. If we didn't have this model of love and sacrifice and forgiveness in our lives, then how could we truly cope with life? If God hadn't established his rule for grace and mercy through the power of the cross, then how could we truly endure a life that brings grief and heartache and hurt? How could we truly be good parents, friends, and neighbors if we don't know what perfect love really is? We daily live with the benefits of being a redeemed people. We daily live with God's blessings, even if week in and week out we sing Jesus' praises one day, then betray and deny and crucify him the next. All of this is so that the world would know the depth and breadth of God's love for us. Is there a chance we have taken for granted the fact that we have always lived in a world in which Jesus lived, where God walked among his people, where the fear of sin and death are no more. Is there a chance we have taken for granted that there once was a triumphal entry into Jerusalem and an upper room and a garden and a cross and an empty tomb? And because of all these things, these lives and this world in which we live has been completely altered because of this one week. Two weeks ago, I needed to stop and absorb the fact that I have always inhabited a world in which man has walked on the moon and how that has altered my understanding of reality. And that was a lot to take in. Today and every day, we all need to stop and absorb the fact that Palm Sunday launches us into the recognition of a week that had cataclysmic implications, where all of culture, the universe, and life has been turned upside down. One commentator, after viewing the photos taken of Earth from inside the various Apollo missions while in space, said this, on the way to the moon, we discovered Earth. So this week, on our way to the cross, may we discover Jesus. May we stop and take a moment to truly absorb all that the events of Holy Week have to teach us about the very nature of God. And may we not take for granted the fact that we live in the shadow of the cross, thus in the shadow of God's blessings. Amen.